0: Hi everyone, and welcome to the American Ambulance EMS podcast. I'm Dr. Danielle Campaign, and I'm your American Ambulance medical director. I'm here with co-hosts Dr. Sajin Pakta and Dr. Patil Armenian, and we are excited to bring to you today um, opioid overdose.
1: Who serves a million people in the valley? We do. The brave men and women of the Double A are the best at what they do in EMS today. The finest place in the world to be. Is right here as a part of American's family Help is on the way, got a unit en route No matter the problem, when in doubt we send them out Sure as the sun rise, sure as I bust this rhyme Ten minutes or less, every call, every time This is my career path, this is what I do The double A's, red, white, and blue Get your call
2: on, here comes American Get your lights on, here comes American Get your gurney on, here
0: comes American Get your gloves on,
2: here comes American
0: Get your save on So Dr. Bakta and Dr. Aminj, introduce yourself. Tell us about yourselves.
2: Hi, I'm Sajan Bakta. I'm one of the emergency medicine residents at UCSF Fresno at uh, Community Regional Medical Center, and I'm happy to be here.
1: Hi, I'm Patial Armenian. I'm one of the attending physicians at UCSF Fresno and CRMC, and I practice both emergency medicine and medical toxicology.
0: And we especially want Dr. Arminian's brain today because this is a toxicology hot topic all oh, these yeah. overdoses.
1: <laughs> we have a lot of adventures in toxicology at CRMC, as I'm sure most of you guys know. Um, really, our, our real area of expertise is methamphetamine. But as the opioid epidemic grows and grows in the United States, we, too, are seeing more and more cases. We had a very interesting case recently of a 16-year-old who was actually found down by his grandmother at home. And he, um, you know, he wasn't breathing. And, and actually, PD got there first. Um, so when PD arrived, they noticed that he wasn't really breathing, and he had pinpoint pupils, and they gave him two milligrams of naloxone intranasally. And, and then immediately after FIRE arrived, FIRE gave another two milligrams, and then another two milligrams intranasally. So six milligrams total, and then he finally woke up and started talking. All before EMS arrived. Um, And then, yeah, and then, I mean, it it happened in the space of like five minutes, and then EMS arrived uh, and transported him. And actually, um, from that point on, he didn't require any more naloxone. But what was interesting was it took six milligrams to reverse him, which is actually more than what is in our current protocol. And it just um, reflects the landscape of how opioid toxicity is changing. So... What happened here? Right. And so we, you know, kick the parents out of the room and start talking and um, and really find out that he had um, bought a pill um, from someone that he thought was oxycodone and um, and crushed it up and snorted it.
0: Now, I have a dumb layman's question. Are all synthetic opioids pills or do you inject them too? So like if I was on the streets and someone had this pill, could I assume that's a synthetic opioid versus the guy with the needle in his arm? that gets found that you assume is heroin, or is that a bad assumption? Yeah, so
1: I guess let's first talk about what a synthetic opioid is. So first we have our natural opiates, which are heroin, morphine, and codeine. So we're very familiar with people injecting heroin, for example, um, and then taking you know morphine and codeine in the form of pills or give, being given in hospital or um as, you know, an IV medication. And then you have your semi-synthetics, which are, I like to call them all the oxys and hydros. So that's your oxycodone, oxymorphone, so that's like Percocet, your hydrocodone, hydromorphone, that's gonna be your Vicodin and Norcos of the world. Um, And those are semi-synthetic. And then you have pure synthetic opioids. As you move from, um, from natural to synthetic, Um, you're kind of going to start working differently on your opioid receptors. And you're probably going to be getting more and more potent. And that means you're also going to be needing more and more naloxone to reverse. Um, Now, the synthetics, that's what everybody is kind of talking about nowadays. That's going to be your fentanyls. And I say fentanyls, plural, because there's regular fentanyl, which most of us know as the IV medication that, you know, we give to patients, both in the field and in the hospital setting. Um, But there are also many analogs out there. The illicit drug world is full of analogs. So analogs are are compounds that kind of act the same way as another drug. They just look a little bit different. So maybe you guys have heard of carfentanil in the news. That is something that looks like fentanyl and acts like fentanyl. It's like a fentanyl brother or sister, but it's just way more potent than regular fentanyl. So I and think the- is like 10 times more potent, 100 times, 1,000 like times. 1,000 times more potent. Wow, wow. Yeah, so it's pretty intense. Um, so when you hear things in the news of like, there's synthetic opioids out there that naloxone doesn't work on, it's not that it doesn't work. It's that you're not giving a big enough dose. So what we know, for example, from um, just around here is that whenever we have a fentanyl or a fentanyl analog case, usually they need about four milligrams minimum to reverse. Um, If it's carfentanyl, what we know from our colleagues in other states like Ohio, when they had this epidemic was that medics were needing to give 20 milligrams of naloxone to reverse, which, by the way, is... Far beyond any of our protocols, um,
0: and maybe our protocol just was written in the heroin ages when a little bit of, of naloxone would go a long way, and we were worried about them seizing and worried about them withdrawing from the opioids. And now you're kind of telling us that the world has shifted, and we're gotta look for these synthetics. Yeah, and I
1: think if we're gonna talk about this shift and like why this shift happened, it shifted because of opioid abuse epidemic. And so the opioid abuse epidemic really started with your semi-synthetic pills. So people were were starting to abuse like oxy and hydrocodone pills. Um, And that's really kind of when this all started, like around 2009, 2010, it really started um, becoming a big deal. A lot of people were starting to die. And then as people became more and more addicted, then all of a sudden, um, rates of heroin use started to increase. So I don't know if you guys know this, but um, opioid poisoning is right now the leading cause of of accidental death in the United States. More people die from opioid overdose than car crashes. Right? Whoa. And how much attention do we pay to car crashes and highway safety? So if we paid that kind of attention to opioid overdose, then we could do something about this. I think and there's a have.
0: misconception though that opioid overdose is because I want to kill myself. Right? I'm depressed. I'm sad. Mm-hmm. I want to yeah. kill myself, and I think that that's is a huge absolutely misconception. not the case. It's an accidental. They just were going to use it for either their habitual use or to get high, and then they it's way too strong. Right? So it's a dose it's way
1: too strong, or it interferes with other things. Um, so yeah it's a lot of them are just strictly accidental deaths not suicide and people we know from every 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 type of person i'm sure we all can think of one person in our circle that's been affected by this what we noticed was that in the united states pretty much since like the early 70s there were 2,000 deaths a year from heroin that was just always the number And then at around 2011, that number started to increase. And that really happened because people who got hooked on pills then wanted a cheaper alternative, and heroin was the cheaper alternative. So we started seeing a rise in heroin deaths, and then also a rise in methadone deaths, which is a synthetic opioid. Um, And then now, since 2014, there's another rise in deaths, and that really was attributed to fentanyl, and then other related compounds. So basically fentanyl analogs. And people were like, how is this happening? Where's Where are people getting fentanyl from? Because it's always been like, uh, you know, a drug you give in the hospital or in an ambulance. I mean, normal people can't get fentanyl. It doesn't come in pills, right? Have you guys ever prescribed a fentanyl pill? No,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I no, wish. No, no. So you only get fentanyl pills when the when the cartels... When the large-scale Mexican drug trafficking organizations decide we are going to start putting fentanyl in counterfeit pills, and we're going to start putting fentanyl in heroin. And so that's exactly what you're seeing now. Let me interrupt you for one second.
0: You said counterfeit pills. So if I'm a kid, I go to high school, and I'm going to buy a Vicodin off the street. So you mean I wouldn't know that I'm buying exactly. fentanyl? I think I'm getting a, a Tylenol or a Vicodin or something else because it looks the same. Is that what, is that what I'm understanding? That
1: you're, you're absolutely right, Danielle. So these are pills that look just like the pharmaceutical grade pills. Um, and that's actually pretty easy to do. I hate to say it, but you could go online and find pill presses that have are a circle that says M30. That's an oxycodone fake pill press. So you could, f- people basically find pill presses um, or have them made that look just like our regular American pharmaceutical pills. Um, and so we've seen counterfeit pills that look like oxycodones, uh, Vicodins, Norcos, Xanax, um, that all actually contain fentanyl. And so at this point, if you're buying a pill on the street, that is, it's not a prescription that you got from a pharmacy, you can assume this pill contains fentanyl. That's, that's where we're at. Um, also, heroin. Heroin now contains fentanyl, and that's been detected in every state in the United States, that the heroin supply has fentanyl. And
0: I mean, you think that's coming from the drug supply also? Why would they want to give you
1: stronger medicine? I don't get it. Well, is it it's, cheaper to make? Yeah, so it's all about, like, economics, right? And so, um, so, I'll, so, you know, fentanyl is just like a compound that can be made in a lab. Whereas heroin has to come from opium poppies. So that's farming giant fields and just, you know, harvesting and processing that, getting it to your location and then distributing it. It actually takes a lot more time and money and energy than to get fentanyl. Now, where does fentanyl come from? Um, Well, you can, you know, all of these um, drug trafficking organizations, so AKA cartels, they buy it from China, uh, some from India, some from other countries. Mostly China, and it's pretty cheap. So, you guys want to know like the money breakdown? Oh yeah. Sure. Okay, so you can pretty much buy a kilo of fentanyl uh, for about two to three thousand dollars. And if you're gonna transform that into pills, um, because we know fentanyl is so potent, um, if you're gonna transfer that into pills, that will equate into about Ten to fifteen million dollars in sales, um, depending on your market. Wow! So each pill goes for twenty-five to thirty dollars. One pill on the street. Wow! I think this kid paid thirty bucks for his pill, maybe twenty-five. <laughs> but um, right, so that so that is just it's just money making. That's what the cartels are going for.
2: So Patil, how long does it take? How long should we wait for the Narcan to take effect?
1: So you should see some effect from the Narcan in about one to two minutes. Really, if after two minutes, maybe three minutes, you're not seeing anything, that it probably isn't doing anything.
2: And what are our clues to think that maybe we should be giving more as opposed to thinking about other things, other reasons for this patient to be down?
1: Well, I think, so in our protocol, we talk about how um, in these patients, really it's it's naloxone before dextrose, right? So I think as soon as you give your first dose of naloxone, then work on an AccuCheck because you really want to know what their sugar is because you're going to have to address that um, if that's the real problem. Um, and then and then kind of look at your watch and see how much time has passed. If two to three minutes has passed and there's no effect, but they still look like an opioid overdose, right? So their respiratory rate is less than 8 Um, shallow breathing, pinpoint pupils, then drop your next dose and give another two milligrams intranasally. Um, and, And you can do that after five minutes. So in the protocol, it states, you know, give the two milligrams intranasally once and then wait five minutes and then give another two milligrams intranasally. And then if that doesn't work, you actually can put in an IV and do one milligram IV um, after another five minutes. And then if that doesn't work, you have a long transport time, they still look this way, I would recommend contacting um, BASE um, and getting a BASE hospital physician order for possibly more naloxone. Um, and I would not have said this even, you know, 10 years ago. I mean, when I was training, we, had ju- we just learned that, um, you know, you actually need less than one milligram, usually 0.4 milligrams to reverse somebody from heroin intoxication, and that was it. But we're in a different era now. And so even just the way we talk about naloxone has totally changed.
2: What about the different routes of naloxone administration? What's the best? What are the differences?
1: So that, you know, actually one of the cool things about naloxone is you can kind of give it any way, you know, intranasally, you know, IM. IV, uh, what else through the endotracheal tube? I mean, really, uh, you can just kind of give it, just <laughs> get them the naloxone. It'll work. Intranasal is actually great. Intranasal is absorbed really fast. It's the only one faster is really going to be IV. So um, I think intranasal is like a great first option to getting naloxone.
0: You know, sometimes they give um, the Narcan and then they go through withdrawal or get combative in the ED. Um what do you guys treat to that? Are you just wait it out? What are your, what are your thoughts?
1: So I feel like once they're in that space where they're starting to withdraw, it can, it's so uncomfortable for the patient as well as for the staff. And, um, just remember opioid withdrawal is not life-threatening in adults. Um, they, you don't die from it. It just feels so terrible that sometimes people want to die, but it's not life-threatening. um, I think the main thing to keep in mind is now, you know, you can't give them more opiates, right? That's not going to work. So if you give them morphine, it's, you're, you're, you already have an, a blocker on those opioid receptors, the naloxone, so it won't work. So then what we usually do is try to think of something else to do to calm them down. So you could give them benzodiazepines, like Ativan, you know, a medication like that yeah. to try to calm them down because you do need to be able to care for them safely
0: and i think this would be probably a call to base if you felt like you gave your dose of narcan and they um, got agitated then you have to call base i think for like a verset agitation order because now you're jumping protocols so if this happened
1: pre-hospital you definitely have to call base and then um, try to transport as quickly as possible
2: what if you're in the back of the ambulance and you gave narcan and the patient wakes up and gets mad at you and they want to leave
1: And that happens a lot, actually. It happens more often than you'd think. Um, I, you know, I feel like back in the day when it was just regular heroin, I'd be okay with that. I'd be like, all right, well, um, you know, see you later. Or, you know, call your base hospital and confirm the RMCT and that would be okay. Uh, It's changed now. So I think nowadays I would recommend transport every single time, um, to even try to get the base hospital physician on the line to talk to the patient. Um, and that is because um, that is because the current reality is that even if somebody thinks they did heroin, it could be something else. It could be fentanyl, which can last a lot longer. And the problem is that after an hour, once that naloxone wears off, um, that person can kind of pass out and stop breathing again? Um, and who's going to be watching them? So so that's what's changed nowadays. And even once they're awake and they feel like they're ready to go, this means that now they might not be ready to go.
0: All right. In SIMSA, you know, we see a lot of QAs that come about with Narcan being given in code. So say I have a patient in the field who was an opioid overdose, the history supports it, maybe even got a needle still sticking out of his arm, and then he codes. Should, should the medic be giving Narcan?
1: So once they're in cardiac arrest, you're going to follow your cardiac arrest protocol um, because Narcan is not going to work at that point. So once they're dead, Narcan doesn't work. You have to be in that sweet spot where you're just breathing real slowly, but, you know, your heart hasn't really stopped yet or you're not in PEA yet. So once you're coding, then it's over. Narcan isn't going to do anything and focus on your regular you know, ACLS and your regular cardiac arrest protocol. So let's think about now, like, okay, well, how long do you watch someone? And I think for that, you have to know how long does naloxone last? Um, Naloxone typically lasts about 30 minutes to 45 minutes. So max one hour. After one hour, it's gone, right? And so if somebody took something longer lasting, um, which is usually going to be a fentanyl or methadone, something kind of synthetic. What you're going to see is that after an hour, they're going to pass out again. Um, And they're just going to go right back to where they were. Um, And that's because naloxone was developed for heroin. You know, heroin doesn't last a long time. It goes away. And so it's perfect. The timing matches up perfectly with heroin, but it doesn't match up for these other things that we're now facing. And so, So if that's happening, then we redose them. Sometimes if it's methadone, for example, you're like, well, this is going to last for like 24 hours or more. We'll even start a naloxone drip in the hospital. Um, But we're basically just using a lot more naloxone than we used to.
2: So you mentioned that opioid withdrawal is not life-threatening. Why don't we just give everybody four milligrams of Narcan to start with?
1: great question. Um, I think really because it's so uncomfortable. I mean, why put somebody through that? And it kind of, I hate to say, it, it just sucks for you when you're taking care of them. I mean, now you have somebody who's like throwing up, having diarrhea, you know, in a lot of pain. It's just miserable. It's just total misery for them. We like to say, just give them enough naloxone just to breathe but we don't even need you to be fully talking to us. And that's what we do in the hospital setting. Now, I know that um, there really is no room for dose variability in the EMS protocol. So you're going to start with the 2 milligrams intranasally as your opener. And that's fine. But just so you guys know, like if somebody is if I'm dealing with them in the hospital and I'm picking a naloxone dose, I go really low. Um, Sometimes I even start with 0.1 milligrams, 0.4, and then kind of work my way up until they're just doing well enough to be breathing and satting fine, not needing to be intubated, but not to the point where now they're withdrawing and getting combative on us. So just to find that sweet spot.
2: And are there side effects to the medication itself?
1: You know, there really isn't. Uh, I know that there are some theories out there that naloxone can cause a a non-cardiogenic pulmonary edema. So that's basically fluid filling up in your lungs that's not from a heart source. Um, And we do see that after somebody has been resuscitated from an opioid overdose, they may have this pulmonary edema. Um, But it's really not necessarily from the naloxone itself, but rather it's the fact that you weren't breathing and then <gasps> all of a sudden you take a big deep breath again. So it's just that action on your lungs. Like can a collapse, cause, like, yeah, it's like atelectasis
0: collapse. that then bursts open.
1: Yeah, like exactly. So it's like a collapse and then burst open and that might be the cause of the pulmonary edema. So So for me, that's the concept of that isn't going to stop me from giving naloxone. You're still going to get the naloxone. Um, and it's just a function of the resuscitation itself. If you're Not going to see pulmonary
0: edema, how quick is it? Like I guess it goes into the OBS I mean, it part can happen within
1: it. minutes. Um, so it can happen really quickly. And so that's why you're going to be ready with your high-flow O2. So all these patients will get high-flow O2 as part of like the altered mental status protocol. Um, and you can be ready with a bag valve mask if they need it. Um, and I mean, it can definitely happen within just a few minutes, even of resuscitating them.
2: Just another reason to take every, everybody to the hospital.
0: That's right. Don't leave them behind, bring them in everybody. What about people
2: who use methadone regularly and then use some sort of synthetic opioid on top of it?
1: Yeah, I guess you're like, well, if you're already on methadone, how are you using more? I think it's just, you know, you develop your opioid receptors develop tolerance, and they kind of get used to things and so after a while that methadone that you chronically take and have taken forever it doesn't work for pain or anything else it just kind of doesn't feel like anything anymore and if you need something for pain or you need um, now you actually are trying to get high then you're gonna need more. And And can we relate it to
0: like our caffeine addictions we all have? That if you, (laughs) at baseline, you have one cup of coffee and that's your methadone dose, right? Your one cup of coffee a day. If I really want to get amped up or stay awake or stay awake all night, you really need
1: like five cups of coffee. Totally. Yeah, that's exactly it. Tolerance.
2: That just means you'll need even more naloxone.
1: We really do want all first responders to carry naloxone um, because this has been shown to save lives. And in the case that I described it was police department naloxone that was given first and then fire, right? And so it's not just um, on the shoulders of our EMTs and paramedics, but it's on anyone that shows up to the scene first should give it. Um, And, you know, at least my personal opinion is that all first responders should carry naloxone in this day and age.
0: Which I think is the state law nowadays in California that all first responders have it. All right, let's wrap this up and take some take-home points. Can't miss. What are our key actions for our paramedics out there in the field who are first responders who, when they get called to an ultra status, found down is opioid overdose. What do you want them to remember? What's the one thing that should pop into their head?
2: I think the first thing is remembering um, opioid intoxication um, signs and symptoms. So respiratory depression and pinpoint pupils. You should be thinking opioid overdose and you should be giving Narcan.
1: I agree. And I think um, if you give one dose of Narcan and it doesn't do anything, give more. Because remember, we have things other than heroin out there. We have our synthetic opioids now.
0: Right. And my take on point is just remember Narcan has its limitations that it can only last sometimes up to 45 minutes. With synthetic opioids out there, they could like rebound and get altered again. So bring them all in for OBS. Thanks, everyone, for being here and for doing your job.
2: Thanks for all your hard work.
1: Thank you. podcast at americanambulance.com. Once again, that's podcast at americanambulance.com. Thanks.
2: Thank you for joining us on the American Ambulance EMS Podcast, produced by American Ambulance in Fresno, California. The views of the guests and the hosts of this show are their own and don't necessarily reflect the views of American Ambulance or UCSF Fresno. The theme song for the show is written and performed by Roshan Roach. The beats were created by Young Pear and Brett Schoenwald. And I'm John Mark Bergen, American Ambulance's media producer, saying thanks for joining us. Have a great shift and stay safe out there.